Welcome to Public Domain Video Theater, presented by the great detectives of old time radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. As part of the great detectives of old time radio podcast, I posted videos without any commentary on them. I did a total of 105 of these, and I want to revisit those videos, add some commentary, and add them online. And the first one that I'm going to do this with is the pilot episode of Decoy. Decoy was a syndicated TV series that first came out in 1957. It starred Beverly Garland as policewoman Casey Jones and was set in New York City. This episode is the pilot and would later be aired as the first episode of the series. The video that we have is the exact same video that was sent out by the syndicators to the networks. Thus, you'll see the adhere markers. According to IMDb, Stranglehold, Season 1, Episode 1 of Decoy, aired October the 14th of 1957. Let's go ahead and watch it. Lieutenant Andrews, homicide. Policewoman Patricia Jones, Shield 300. What was it this time? Narcotics. Sorry to pull you right over here like this, but I'd like to try something. We've got a murdered seaman named Olonsky. Strangulation. Jones, pick this table up for me, will you please? Lieutenant Andrews wants to see you again. Right away? Is this an assignment? That's right. Homicide. Shh. What about the murder? Yeah, we, uh, we found the murdered man and reported some jewelry stolen a few days before he was strangled. This morning, they picked up a girl who was trying to pawn his watch. Turned out she lived right across the hall from the guy. Come on, before I get hoarse. Take a good look at this kid. She's in the line of room now. All right, Molly. Let's take it again. You say the watch you tried to pawn was given to you by the man who was killed. Pawned for him. 
because he didn't have time to do it himself. He was a merchant seaman. He had to be down at the Union Hall all the time. This is the girl. But when you tried to pawn the watch, you knew he was already dead. Thought he might have had a family or something. But you said before he told you he was all alone in the world. I wanted to buy some flowers. I could put them on his grave, so... Show at least somebody cared. Then why did you tell me the other? I thought if I pretended that he had a family, it would be like he had one. Then he wouldn't be all alone out there in the cemetery. Listen to this carefully. Molly, let's get back to your boyfriends. Do you have many? Sure. Lots of them. But you have a special boyfriend, haven't you? George? Yes. What'd you say his last name was? Don't you know his last name? Molly, you didn't have anything to do with killing Mr. Lonsky, did you? No. Did George? No. Why should he? Well, the watch, the stick pen, the ring. There wasn't any ring. You're smart. You're really very smart. All right, Molly, you might as well tell us now. Where did you really get the watch? George gave it to me. Where'd George get it? He won it in the card game with Mr. Lonsky. That's the man what I could find, George. She's obviously protecting him. It'll be your job to get close to her. Let her lead us to George. When she does, you'll be right across the hall. Right in Lonsky's room. Well, with the apartment situation the way it is, room's room. Who is it? Doris, from across the hall. Hi. 
I'm Doris Daniels. I just moved in across the hall. The landlady told me there was another girl living on this floor, so I just thought I'd come by and say hello. Hello. I'm just about to make myself a cup of tea. You like to have some? Maybe some other time. <laughs> sure, honey. Any time you say. Now, listen. If my radio is on too loud, you just tell me. No, I can't. I like it. You know, sometimes when you're alone, little music helps. kind of keeps you company. Say, let me tell you what my name was. It's Doris Daniels. Mine's Molly Orchid. Orchid? Like in the flower? Hey, that's real pretty. Not my real name. I just took it, huh? I like the name Orchid. <laughs> Look, honey, if you ever feel like socializing, just give a knock. The way the nightclub business is losing money, I'll probably be home. You work in a nightclub? Yeah, when I get off it. Well, look, honey, you come by any time. If I'm not in, I'll be back. I still have that cup of tea? <laughs> sure. One tea bag still makes two cups of tea. Come on in. In this line of work, a cup of tea is a foot in the door. I walked near the U.N. building, opened that door a little wider. But still, it was mostly walk, very little talk. Nothing new about George. Then I bumped into her the next day. She seemed glad to see me. Asked whether I'd like to listen to some records with her. Said she and George were mad about jazz. He told her all about it. Maybe George is a musician. She's very friendly now. See her practically every day. I asked her point blank what George does for a living. Looked right through me and said George was about the most handsome fellow who ever lived. But as long as I keep seeing her. I had a date to meet her at the automat for lunch. Money meant nothing. A masher, a fast proposition, an even faster brush. Suddenly, the pieces fell into place. Of course, a musician. A man who works with his hands, his fingers. All right, thank you. That's all for now. Sorry to keep you waiting. How do we stand? We must have checked every guy in New York who carries an accordion case, and fiddle, and guitar. Well, they tell you down the union. You're no help. There are over 30,000 musicians in the New York local alone. As for the name George, it's a mess up. Might take months to check them all. And there's always a possibility he isn't a member of the local anyway. Molly says he works out of town a lot. 
Now, we've got to move, and fast. He's here somewhere. We've got to nail him before he decides to move on. Casey, I want you to dig at her now, and hard. She's got the key. Make her use it. Try to tissue or anything? Mm. <laughs> oh, I can handle him. Fellas are always trying to get fresh with me. All except George. <laughs> he treats me like a real high-class lady. He's always asking me if I'm comfortable, how I feel, or if I want this or that. In the meantime, you sit home and he's traveling all over the country. Oh, well, he's got business. Yeah, but what kind? You say he never told you anything. For all you know, it could be monkey business. Oh, no. Honey, I've met the kind before. Believe you me. Well, George isn't that kind. Okay. Well, what kind is he? How long has he been going now? You haven't even showed me a postal card that he sent you. Look, honey, I know the type. If it ain't under his nose, he just ain't interested. George loves me. I'll believe that when I see it. Talk about George and me like that. You're jealous. That's what you are. Okay? So I'm jealous. I'll take you out, but they don't respect you. George respects me. There isn't anything he wouldn't do for me. All I have to do is ask him. Okay? Okay. Just wait. I'll show you. Just wait. I'll show you. You just wait. <laughs> because George is back. <laughs> and she flipped over the act. She ran yelling out of the room saying she'd get a hold of the big boss. Did she say where he is? No, but she promised to get in touch with him. From the way she acted, that figure's very, very soon. Tonight? I don't know, but I wouldn't be at all. Answer... Jones. I, uh, just wanted to let you know, Andy, and, uh, thank you for setting it up for me. Jones, you lock yourself in your room and stay there. For all we know, George could be right in the building. Debbie Donovan.
How do I look? Oh, oh, you look beautiful. I'm going out with George. A late date. He came back this afternoon. He called me right from the airport. I thought you'd like to know. You know those earrings you wore the other night? You mean the, uh, the long dangly ones? Could I borrow them? Oh, what tonight? <laughs> sure, I'll get them for you. Perfect. When's, uh, when's George going to pick you up? Oh, I'm going to meet him. And then we're going to our own little special hideaway. Or we might go riding in his new car. Well, I've got to be going. I don't want to be late. And, oh, and thanks for the earrings. Molly. Huh? Be careful. What about? I'm going out with George. <laughs> George bring you home? Oh, he had to go someplace. You know him. Can I come in? Sure. Well, we just danced, and then we had chop suey, and then we went to another place, and we danced some more, and... Who could that be calling at this hour? Oh, it's my agent. He said he'd probably call back. So late? Hello? Yeah, speaking. Is she back there now? She is. Well, we followed her, and she didn't meet anyone at all tonight. Not anyone. All she did was go to a movie, alone. Well, Casey? Yeah. Is she right there with you? Well, I don't know. Yeah. I'll be there first thing in the morning, and I'll, uh, I'll bring my music. <laughs> I was my agent. He, uh... I think he might have a job for me in some crummy uh, place in Chicago. I, um, I have to audition the first thing in the morning. Hope you get it. Molly, didn't you tell me that George phoned you from the airport this afternoon? Yes, he did. 
the second he got off the plane. But you saw him at the automat, didn't you? Why did you pretend that you didn't know him? You mean the fellow at... That skinny little runt you thought that was Joe. He was, he was carrying a musical instrument, Kate. Why don't you move this? Musician, for heaven's sake. He used to work at a, in a movie house where they had vaudeville. <laughs> My goodness, that skinny little runt. You thought that was Joe. <laughs> Somebody else, I was still your friend. You said there wasn't a George. There isn't, Molly. Say there is. Do you want me to tell you a lie? Say there's a George. Molly, you know too. You know that there isn't any George. You don't really want me to tell you there is because that would be a lie. And friends don't lie. Not real friends. And I'm your real friend now. Oh, you. Then you wouldn't have a friend anymore, would you? And that's what counts. Not a friend like George who doesn't exist, but a real friend.
I wouldn't let anyone hurt you. Jean, the girl I talked to, she has a degree from the University of Southern California. She's a fully qualified chemist. Edna was a nurse. Marion was a social worker. I studied, and believe it or not, to be a ballet dancer. Down the line, you name it, we've done it. Today, tomorrow, next week, we'll pose as hostesses, society girls, models, Anything and everything the department asks us to be. There are 249 of us in the department. We carry two things in common wherever we go. Shield, called a potsy, and a 32 revolver. We're New York's finest. We're police women. Welcome back. Let's go ahead and get the elephant out of the room and ask what was with that strangling scene. The lieutenant calls Casey in from her current assignment and has her place her hands around a detective's throat and choke him. Why? Now, there are a few explanations we could offer. The most sensible and still kind of silly is that the lieutenant wanted to determine whether a woman was capable of choking a man. As if this is something that a police officer, an experienced homicide lieutenant, has to go out and experiment on and do kind of mythbuster test. Can a woman strangle a man? I think the answer is, all things being equal, yes, though there are many women who don't really have the upper body strength, and there are many men who just, for various reasons, would be kind of hard to strangle, particularly standing up. And this would indicate that the lieutenant had reason to believe that a woman had committed stra uh, the strangling. The uh, problem with this is that a big hole is blown in this theory when a woman tries to sell some of the victim's jewelry and their first belief is that she is protecting her boyfriend. So I'm left with two possibilities. Either the lieutenant is crazy or a little unbalanced, which would be kind of uh, indicated by the way he was positioning Casey as if she couldn't figure this out. 
or the lieutenant just didn't like this guy, or the lieutenant made a bet. I bet I can have Casey come down here and and choke you. Oh, she'd never do that. Wanna bet? Well, the lieutenant wins. But once we get past that bizarre scene, what really does stand out about this episode is that it was really inexpensively shot. It looks really cheap compared to Dragnet or to Richard Diamond, which I, I should say both were network productions, and so you had higher production uh, qualities. But it even looks cheap compared to some of the nicer syndicated series of the era, such as Lockup. But this actually works to the story's advantage, because it gives it a sense of atmosphere, a sort of noirish uh, sort of feel. And I think the budget for this episode is perhaps even a bit lower than is typical for Decoy. And if you have to make an episode on a budget, going ahead and shooting it in a semi rooming house is actually a really smart idea and making that the basis of the story. And it does show in a lot of ways, such as that cord that they can't seem to get out of the camera. But that's because the cord is taking up a big part of this cheap uh, rooming house room. In addition to the atmosphere, what does make this work is the performance of Joanne Linville as Molly. Linville is one of these very easily overlooked character actresses who had a long career that stretched from the 1950s uh, really actively to the mid-1980s, and she's appeared in a few things sporadically since, and is actually still alive. Linville was in everything from Studio One to Hawaii Five O and Dynasty. And you see why she didn't have much trouble finding work in the way that she plays and creates this character of Molly with this uh, vulnerability and this instability. And of course, she does well playing off Beverly Garland, who's really a good actress known for a lot of cult films particularly some by Roger Corman. And both actresses uh, really communicate a lot through the nonverbal cues, body language, facial expressions. They're so wonderfully expressive throughout this. Consider the scene when Molly comes up the stairs before she's met Casey. In that 30-second scene, you get so many hints and feelings about this character, and she tells you so much about who she, she, who she is without actually saying a word. And that sort of interplay characterizes the whole episode. The final scene with Casey at her desk really does bring home what this series is going to be about in terms of being a tribute to the work of Policewoman. And what really made this unique, particularly for its time on television, was taking a policewoman and really telling her story, treating her seriously, and treating her work seriously. Other series really did not do as well with uh, policewomen. Uh, I love Dragnet to death, but they, for the most part, when they brought on policewomen, it was for a few specific reasons. Either there was a psychopath out there who was attacking women, and they needed them to walk around the street uh, as big uh, targets, or they'd found a baby or in some way connected to juvenile division. And you really didn't get an impression of them as real characters. Probably the one exception to this that I can think of is the 1954 Dragnet movie. Decoy focuses on Casey as a professional. 
she does a good job. She's not perfect, as evidenced by the fact that we learned in this episode, she needs to find better places to hide guns. But she's very professional, competent, and willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Her assignments do tend to be more gender-specific, though not exclusively so. But it uh, makes us care about these cases, just as Dragnet made us care about whole wide variety of criminal investigations outside the typical fare of violent crime and murder, which most other detective programs treat us to. So overall, despite a few problems, I think this is a really good start to a great series, and I look forward to revisiting in the future. Well, that's all for now. If you do have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. Become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. And if you enjoy these videos, become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.